in association with nzhikes.co.nz. It's bushwhacked, not the wrestlers. True tales of adventure from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Welcome back to Bushwhack, not the wrestlers. I'm one host, Tam Clark. As always, my co-host, Mark Wilson. Mark, how's it going? Uh, shocked. Shocked. We've got to 12. <laughs> this is 12, isn't it? That's right. This is an even Which dozen. Is, yes, this is going uh, above and beyond the one that I thought we would scrape through with. So um, well done again to us. I think we started this way on the last one, didn't we? I, um, I think so. we actually should say well done to everyone else because you don't get any motivation if there's no one listening and no one like caring and uh, there's enough people caring that a person in Christchurch, Aotearoa, New Zealand is talking into a microphone and way over there in Winnipeg, Canada there's another guy talking into a microphone on a reasonably frequent basis now. Yeah, once once every cup. Well... Well, not the last one. I did miss, dear listeners. You'll be aware. Frequent. You'll you'll be aware that I did miss the last deadline for uh, for episode eleven. It just couldn't be helped, and uh, I'm not sorry. So, anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. Cam the Cam the producer there. He's um, he's a sucker for punishing himself. You know, obviously, being a teacher, he needs he he wants deadlines met, and uh, no one, I think, in the community. <laughs> that we've created really cares. No, I don't All think right? they do. I don't think anyone's sitting there waiting, <laughs> watching their watch for that time we never actually gave. The uh, the only person who mentioned something, you'll get a kick out of this. So uh, you might be aware, listeners, I mentioned it before, that I'm a, I'm a teacher. And uh, my students found, uh, tracked down my podcast because I'd mentioned it uh, in <laughs> passing. Yes. And so... <laughs> They, yes. I didn't tell them anything about it, but they, they internet sleuthed it and they discovered and they discovered yeah. it and they, uh, so they all immediately followed it and downloaded it being good students that they are. And hey, tell that kid to be quiet. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, and that's another thing I want to say just quickly, um, <laughs> a little bit of a grouchier voice than normal. Uh, and it is school holidays over here. So keeping in that theme and I've got the niece and nephew. We're taking care of them just because they're ah. well homeless while the parents work. I well, guess, give, why don't you give them a shake till they be till they be quiet? That's, that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Well, it's coke and raspberry and into the back <laughs> of the car, I think. <laughs> Get them ready for their future. <laughs> well, unfortunately, international, you know, a few of those listeners may not know what that <laughs> means or I'm talking about Kiwis. I'll definitely have I'll know a little little bit about that. Moving on. <laughs> Gonna have to edit so much of this out. All right. Um, well, what are we doing? We're doing a podcast about uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. about about walking, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Something like that, I think. <laughs> Mark, have you it got to Mark- to that eventually? <laughs> eventually, we get to that. Don't we do something about you being hurt or something? Or do we still care That's about right. that? That's right. That's All right. right. Well, well, yeah. Mark, better give us a Mark injury update then. 
Uh, well, people do care, and um, a shout out to Josh, who is just more than a, oh, sorry, more than just a physio, um, which wasn't apparent at first, because I've dealt with a lot of physios over the last couple of years. All physios that I've dealt with have been awesome, really caring people, and you can understand why their personality chose to be helping people with injuries mm. and whatnot. Um, but Josh is a little bit more than that. Um, he's my Michael Cohen, if you know what I mean. He's my fixer. All right. So um, he fixes things, although those things aren't um, porn star sex allegations. Um, <clears throat> they're more just like injury things. Okay, more editing probably is going to have to happen it's here, Cam. It's funny that you felt the need to explain that, but that's okay. We'll just move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but now we've got to a point. So when you watch, you know, a, a, an injury to a sports player or something like that, they seem seem to always show that time when they're they're doing something that's really hard. There's strain in their face, and there's a person beside them helping them through it. Now that hadn't happened to me up until just recently. Oh. So on the last podcast, I um, I talked about how we were doing more sort of focused exercises on certain muscles. And uh, it's quite funny, I've come from seeing Josh today, only a couple of hours later to be doing this. And he's quite funny because he just said, you know, I told him about how, for instance, my glutes, and it's only on one side, um, because of the hip injury, they've gone really weak. And he just said it blunt, he went, yep, you've got weak muscles there. And you, you sort of, when you hear stuff like that, you know the guy's really genuine. Mm. Um, no one likes to be told that they're weak. Um, but it really is, uh, it shows how much I've favoured one side because I had the option, I guess, of like just doing nothing and waiting until it fully healed, which would still be a lot of time. But mm. then life gets in the way, so you've got to sort of carry on. Um, but now I'm, I'm to this really focused exercises, which suck, but you can tell will benefit me in the future. Oh, awesome. Okay. Not, not at the time. Not no. awesome at the time. No, but you feel, do you feel that those weak muscles are getting stronger? Like every week you've said you've had progress, right? Well, and also I've got to the point where I really do understand people who, who go to a yoga class a couple of times a week. Because uh, I'm at the stage now where I've got about a 10 to 15 minute routine which it really must be done. But before it's got to be done, um, I need to do some form of exercise. And getting a dog has been really helpful. So mm. a little dog, Ernie, he's he needs walking. And then that leads to me doing these exercises. And it seems like as long as I do that, um, everything seems to work otherwise. And I feel a lot better and sleep a lot better, which is good. Nice. I've been doing a little bit of yoga myself, actually. Good, yeah. good. Yeah, it's good. It sort of takes you out of, you know, the the realms of the normal world just for a little bit, while you're doing what you're doing, mm. and of course you get that stretch benefit as well. Well, it's pretty good for strength too. Some of the different poses, mm. like you're pushing against yourself. You know what I mean? So, mm. and plus, like it's a really good place to meet girls. Wait, what? Who said that? Um, yeah. <sighs> Anyway, uh, okay. Well, more censoring. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Mark, background. What do you got for us this week? Well, 
it seems like every week I learn something. So once again, going back to the fact that once this podcast ends, we finish recording, um, I'm done. I hang up my hat and continue on, and then Cam does all the work. Uh, so there's things like, uh, you know, our little research corner, uh, which I learn about for the first time. And as mentioned, Cam being a teacher, I'm sure he enjoys teaching and uh, to learn stuff is quite cool. Um, so I thought today's episode, I'll actually talk about a couple of the courses that I've taken, um, which has obviously helped me to be alive now. Ah, um, well, this sounds, so, this sounds very interesting. Hmm. All right. So, well, um, without further ado, Mark, take us on a mesh. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we go back to the seventeenth of July, two thousand and eleven. Um, an interesting year uh, for people living in Canterbury. Now, during the winter, I would return from working down south in Fiordland uh, on the hiking tracks, like the Rootburn and the Milford track. And then I'd work in a ski shop, and the ski shop was a really cool way of getting up to the mountains quite often. Uh, they had a transport business attached to it, which would take people up to the mountains. Um, and of course, it was during the winter that I'd do a lot of my exploring, as having a job as a guide means you're basically exploring the mountains as a job. Uh, so the summer was taken care of. In the winter, of course, being in a ski shop, I saw nothing but wooden walls as I worked on many skis, getting them ready to hit the slopes. Uh, but I had to go out and do some exploring every now and then. Now, of course, as we've found out on previous episodes, and if you do your math, you'll find out a few of the stories that got interesting. Uh, they actually were before this very date, July 2011. Um, so I needed to do some training um, and I believe it was a birthday present uh, to pay for a three night four day course at Mount Cook, Aoraki, one of the most stunning places in the world, a place I called home for a very short time which I'll talk about in a future episode. Uh, so the stage was set for this uh, little course that I was taking, now it was a backcountry travel course. So there's no mountaineering involved at this stage, but it was talking about how you get over hills and things like that. Uh, but before that happened, we had to get to Mount Cook. And before getting to Mount Cook, I actually went to Lake Pokaki, which is just below Mount Cook, and it's what the Tasman and Hooker Rivers flow into. And I did a thing which you can't do now here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and it's called freedom camping, where you just pull up in your van, park on the side of the road, and sleep in it. Are you not allowed not to do allowed that to, anymore? Not allowed to do that anymore. Too many people pooping on the side of the road. I always. I heard rumblings that they were going to stop it, but I thought too many people still wanted it to happen. When when did they officially change that? Oh, a couple of years now. Ah. It is um it is it is policed in places, um but also policed by dock workers who aren't really police, and so it puts a lot of pressure of the, on them. Mm. Um, so, but back in the day, of course, no issues. I guess a lower number of tourists doing it. So I had this really cool night. Now, I knew that there had been a lot of snow up at Mount Cook. Um, but after 
getting up from my little campsite and driving into the village. Now, I still had a day to go before my course. I was fairly blown away. Now, when I was camping, the road was actually closed because of the snow, and they'd actually got plows through, and I could just drive on it. It was quite slippery. And I pulled up to the village, and it was unbelievable. If you get a chance to go to this place during a heavy snowfall, now there was over a meter on the ground. Uh, our Winnipeg people, they'll know all about having a huge amount of snow, and they'll be going, what? what's this guy talking about? Like, why is this <laughs> great? Isn't this just a huge inconvenience? Uh, but we do have the biggest mountains in New Zealand right there. And they're usually draped in snow anyway because they're so big. Uh, but to have the snow go right down to the base of the valley and then be quite thick was really awesome. Another benefit, Cam, was the fact that, that I could go into the Hermitage, which is the biggest hotel there, quite a fancy hotel, and uh, pick up a couple of the cancellations that had happened because of the snowfall. So I had myself this very fancy hotel with a room that looked directly at Aoraki and uh, I didn't close the curtains, it's safe mm. to say. It was awesome and I paid a fraction of the price. My idea originally was going to be just to camp at the camping ground there um, but yeah, this opportunity came up and I took it. Uh, so the next day was actually the start of the course. Now, we couldn't do anything in the upper mountains because there was this massive snowfall. So in a way, it was beneficial because the course teaches you about avalanches and whatnot. So the first day was a real introduction to what we were going to do and mountain travel to keep us safe in the snowy conditions that were really present outside. Um, so for our instructor, it was a perfect opportunity to give some real-life training. Now, the first stage of our real-life training um, actually happened just outside the hotel itself. There's a little slope there, and with a meter of snow on the ground, it means you can slide down and practice arrest training. Now, self-arrest is a crucial if you're in the mountains. Remember when we went out camp on one of our expeditions and we slid down the mountain and it was quite a quick way to get down to the bottom. Now, fun. If, if that happens um, uncontrollably and you want to stop yourself, well, it's when you want to use your ice axe. And the key thing with your ice axe is self-arrest. A lot of people think it's for climbing up, but it's actually for preventing you from going down. Mm. Now, of course, we're doing this right outside a massive hotel and one of the most pristine environments on the planet. So we were doing self-arrest training within metres of kids on toboggans, giggling away as they went down the hillside. So um, it didn't have that real-life feel about it. The kids um, probably thought course, you were uh, idiots. You weren't doing it right. Well, then it didn't say anything because we were holding um, great big spiky things. <laughs> so um, they seemed to stay away from us. Um, so... Well, that was the first couple of days, really, of this uh, three-night, four-day course. Um, so on the last full day uh, and then night, we were kind of hoping something was going to happen. Uh, in the course, there was me and three other guys. Uh, one guy was from Australia, and the other two guys, I think they were Austrian. Sorry, um, of course, they'll probably be listening, and I'm very sorry about if I got your uh, where you from wrong. But anyway, 
um, they were all like me. They had this sort of experience, but had this sort of fear of if I don't get some training, uh, things might go wrong. Uh, Cam, things mm. might get a little interesting in the mountains. If you know what I mean. um, so we're all there sort of wanting to get out there and we've been stuck at this hotel for a couple of days. So when we were told early in the morning on the last full day that we were going to go out and go into a snow cave, we were all quite excited. Um, now, the first part of our walk up to a place called Red Tarns, which is quite a popular track that people do in the summer, um, it was actually on a track, but the track itself was so covered in snow uh, that places which were just normally a walkthrough had so much snow drift that uh, we actually had to practice uh, how to sidle across steep, snowy mountain terrain. Mm. So it was really cool. We were getting the, the training in the training. So um, we got up to the Red Tarns, and this has been on a track, by the way, so this is the easy part of our travel. Um, and then up at the Tarns, the Tarns themselves, and Tarn, if you're unsure of what that is, is a little mountain lake with no obvious outlet. And so we had these little lakes around us, but there was so much snow, you just knew that that big flat area of snow there was the lake, and we could walk straight over top of it. It was a really cool experience. Now, our guide, Dave, our instructor, he wanted to get us up to this really cool flat spot where he knew there'd be lots of snow to make a snow cave. And on the journey up there, there was these little pinwheels of sort of mini avalanches which come down in the end look like a cinnamon roll these perfect little twirled hmm. uh, piles of snow really really cool to look at um, wouldn't get those probably in winnipeg cam because it's it's flat it's not a lot of yeah not a lot of opportunities anyway. no so we get up to this place and i can tell you as far as views go it is one of the best i've ever had we're looking down the Hooker Valley, or up, sorry, the Hooker Valley, and Mount Cook, Aoraki, the biggest mountain uh, down here in Australasia. Uh, it does stand tallest, and when you get a little bit of elevation added, man, it is a stunning view. Now, we had some work to do because we had to make a snow cave. Now, our instructor loved our enthusiasm. He's like, all right, boys, you're doing well. You know, you seem quite keen. And he kind of let us go. Now, awesome. what we ended up creating was a snow cave that would have probably fit comfortably 12 to 15 people. Now, awesome. he was just, he was really, just really enthusiastic about our, our enthusiasm and was like, all right, yeah, get into it, boys. And um, it was cool because we had a, a huge area to ourselves and people I know who, you know, go out camping, um, always complain about how you're crammed beside your fellow camper in the tent and things mm -hmm. like that. Not in this cave. And we'd cut little benches into the snow and Wonderful. we were quite comfortable in there. Had dinner in there and everything. And then we all learned that it doesn't matter where you sleep in a snow cave, the drip will always form just above your head. Now, so um, it's, roof... funny, uh, it's funny that you mentioned this because... Uh... <clears throat> Uh, Winnipeg Flex. Uh, I, I know a guy who specializes in his hobby is winter camping, and he awesome. goes out and he digs what's called a Quincy, uh, 
um, and it has a special design that the uh, uh, indigenous people of Canada uh, came up with where it's basically a perfect dry warm shelter for the night and he goes out and he like goes extreme he'll go out there and he'll drag a sled along with a pot-bellied stove so that they'll they'll do this stuff in like minus 50 you know awesome. like just like you'd have to like just as like a challenge yeah and that was a big a big shame about how quick my visit was to winnipeg because i love winter as you can tell and i love snow and what you can do with it and um i'm sure like that guys a lot of the people the clients that um he takes out there are thinking like you're in snow you're going to be freezing cold yeah. but you get a couple of people in a cave and yeah. after having a yarn and whatnot it heats up no trouble whatsoever yeah. um, and for us it was awesome we cooked our dinner in there our guide he chose to sleep outside he's uh quite a well-known mountaineer there's a few guidebooks actually one just by chance i was looking at the back cover and i went that guy has the same boots as our guide and uh looked at the book and oh it is our guide um so he's real legend and so he chose to sleep outside and in the morning i was up and looking at a sunrise on Aoraki mount cook and everything else just covered in this white beautiful snow uh, and it's just a, a moment I will never forget. And this is on our course. <laughs> this is wow. school, essentially. So um, very, very awesome. Now, um, we had to get down, of course. And our way down was an uh, on-site learning exercise, which is really important. So a lot of people can go up to a snowy slope and uh, kick their way up to the top. And... It's the getting down that's going to get them. So um, we were taught the right way to get down. And I'm not even going to bother explaining stuff like this because you've got to do one of these courses. And I can definitely say for sure, um, anything after this that I've done in the mountains, I've used the training that I've had on this course. And uh, it's been very, very helpful because, like I said at the start, I'm still here. I'm talking into a microphone right now. So... Uh, full cred that was an awesome course to go on uh, on the uh, way down we sort of finished had our last sort of chats with each other and uh, then our guide dave was basically like right i've taught you what i can in the limited time that i had good luck and hope to see you in the mountains one day and i have run into him right. a couple of times which has been really cool did you get a certificate no i don't think so oh. i don't think so on that one um, now cam this is by the way this is only part one oh. of this little tale so um, i'll quickly jump into part two without any uh, time wasted because now we're moving ahead a couple of years later mm -hmm. and it's the winter again and i find myself in that same situation working at the ski shop and this time i'm doing a winter technical course and this is proper climbing this is climbing with ropes crampons this is setting anchors and everything that goes with that now this course was slightly longer so this course was a four night five day although the last day and the first day were really just getting set up so the, the meat of it was only three days but man mm. as you'll find out it was quite interesting to say the least 
one. Now this one, this one was in a different place, but just as beautiful. A place known as Arthur's Pass. Now Arthur's Pass is one of the only inhabited places close to the Divide, and the Divide is where you go over from the east coast to the west coast over the mountains. And there's a couple of passes that get through the mountains that now have roads, but most of them are uh, fairly challenging treks or mountaineering journeys. Now, it's just above Arthur's Pass that there's the Temple Basin Ski Field. And this is a ski field that is set up by enthusiasts. And it's a ski field with very, very basic rope toes, which are for a lot of people definitely in Canada they would have never heard of a rope toe and it is exactly what it sounds like you just grab a piece of rope and it drags you up the mountain now even to get to the ski field you've got to hike up a trail which in winter is covered in snow and it's best to have crampons just to get to the huh. ski field so it's quite an impressive place um, and not a place for people just starting out their skiing career that's for sure um, so the day I arrived, it was epic, beautiful blue skies uh, and not much wind to speak of. Uh, but as we I hiked up to the lodge and then got myself settled in and met the rest of the team, uh, you could see the skies were changing. And then overnight, a blizzard came in. Now, of course, Winnipeg listeners will know what a blizzard is. Um, so we're now up at around 1500 meters plus which in uh, New Zealand mountains is quite high up that's uh, really up in the exposed zone and this blizzard camp it went on for three days Whoa. so on the first day uh, we did a whole lot of technical navigation stuff and using your beacon and your avalanche beacon and finding it then we went to bed then the next day we woke up exactly the same conditions so we were in the lounge so the lodge itself has a lounge where you can do a whole lot of rope work which is quite good you can practice your crevasse rescues and all that sort of thing and then we went to sleep then the next day same thing oh. so by the time we get to where it was almost over our guide is thinking well we haven't done anything outside so on the morning of our last full day, he's like, all right, guys, we're, uh, and once again, same number. It was three other people and me, so four people on this course. And our guy, Gideon, he was like, we're going out and we're going to climb uh, B Limit, which is a mountain near uh, the ski field. So <laughs> out we go. And it's one of those situations where, you're in this nice heated lodge with uh, water getting pumped all around <laughs> it to keep it nice and warm. And you step out into <laughs> blizzard. You've really got to push the door to get it open to fight against the snow. And from there on, our instructor was yelling at us. So the first part was climbing this ridge. And we did a lot of rope work through rocks and things like that. And then we ended up getting to a point where we were looking down upon the main divide and i'll never forget it so i was ahead of the rest of the group and our instructor of course was in front of me and i get up and there's these really scary dark clouds swirling around us snow pelting us in the face i'm sort of looking around at the drops which i know are massive but you can't see them because the clouds are obscuring the views and then i see my instructor 
massive smile on his face. He's going over to all the little ledges and having a look down and everything. Comes up to me, he's like, this is awesome, isn't it? And it was sort of there where I really started to learn about how people who do jobs like this, just they would do it for free if there wasn't expenses in life. You can really tell. But of course, we've got to you know, pay to live. So I've got to make some bank. So, um, But man, he was loving it, which really inspired us because I could tell there was a couple of guys that were thinking, what are we doing? Like, this is, this is nuts for us to be going out in. Uh, but then me and definitely another guy was like, all right, let's get down to business. Uh, but it did get very real. We got onto ridges where if things went wrong and you fell, you would be uh, not getting up again. Um, so we ended up climbing the mountain. The conditions did not change. We went back down to the lodge. And of course, we're on our last night now. So we can actually have a little bit of celebration, a few drinks at the lodge. The lodge is really cool in the sense that when you stay there, you go onto a roster. And so each night you might be serving the food or you might be on washing the dishes or drying the dishes or some sort of cleaning duty. It's really cool. It sort of brings a real family feel about it. Mm. And because of these really good snow conditions, we had these real extreme alpine skiers all up waiting for the conditions to clear. So last morning is basically getting up and saying our goodbyes. And guess what the weather was like? <laughs> Fine, not a breath of wind, blue sky. Pretty much all my photos are from the last day huh. because that was the only time I really wanted to get my camera out because um, apart from that, it was wild. Um, now, when I wrote about this on my website, nzhikes.co.nz, um, I called it extreme outdoor education because <laughs> really that's the best way to describe both of those trips. Um, now, of course, the first one, we didn't have that weather. And Cam knows, of course, from episode six, is it? When you're out there in the mountains and that snow is around you and the skies have darkened and it is quite a scary experience and when you have training under your belt it sort of takes away that scariness because you you know that that's just just happening like that's not going to hurt you as long as you do the right things um and i guess that explains why when i came back up to you cam after leaving you for about an hour um i was still smiling and i was like gideon that guide like just out there loving being in the wilderness and uh I mean, we have a hashtag, which is Wilderness Addicts. And, I mean, you do it enough, you just don't want to stop doing it. And um, and I can thank those two courses to the fact that I'm still here because I learn a lot of important things. Like I said, I'm not going to explain what they are because you just you need to do a course and get amongst it. Yeah. Oh, well, very good. Awesome. And that's my story. I uh I I love how like um the the blizzard conditions like uh I haven't heard you tell I haven't heard you tell those sto- any stories before about uh the, the random courses that you had to do. Nice to take us to different locations as well. Now I also mm. have a story about Arthur's Pass that uh I'll have to tell in the in another episode I think. Um 
yeah, yeah. I was like, as you were telling that story, I was like, Arthur's pass. And then little little bit of foreshadowing here. I got triggered a little bit. I'm going to say it. Because Google it. Say if it. you Google it, folks, yeah, mountain I, pictures. Yeah, that, that's a, what will come up immediately. I, I had a negative experience in Arthur's pass as a child. And, and hey, I'm hey gonna, Cam, did it get interesting? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> and you're all going to hear about it. There you go. Excellent. There good. You go. Good. All right. Very good. All right. Cool. Well, uh, <clears throat> now it's uh, that time of the uh, episode, uh, one of our favorite parts. It's talking to Rayo with Mark and Cam. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, that's me spoiling you. That's right. right that's right. Yeah, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Very good. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Secretly, you're real. You're anyway. Moving on. I'm seething. Anyway. Yes. Okay. So, Mark. Uh, this week, I've decided that uh, I'm going to give you a much more challenging word. So, are you ready? Yes. Your word is spelt. Oh, by the way, everyone, if this is your first time listening to one of these episodes, um, how the format of this works, I'm going to spell the word for Mark. Mark's going to attempt to pronounce the Māori word, Māori, the indigenous people of New Zealand. Uh, and uh, then we're going to compare that to the uh, an attempt to say it, um, if you're not trying to say it the correct way, which we all like to have a chuckle at, and then I I usually follow that up with uh, my attempt at a the North American confused way to try and also pronounce that word. Uh, just a bit of fun we like to have here on uh, Bushwhacked, not the Restless. Anyway, Mark. The word is T U R A N G A W. A, E, W, A, E. Right, this is a tough one, folks. This is a tough one. Tuaranga wai wai. I think that's like a solid, at least a nine. I think I have to give it a nine. Yeah, that's that's fantastic for such a challenging word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, uh, when researching this one, I had to listen to a guy say it over and over and over again. So I can't really give you any feedback except that I know that there's something there that's not a hundred percent, but that yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's pretty darn good. So thank you, Kapai. Thank you, Kapai. Your your average is still huge. Like we, I haven't exactly. I haven't crunched the stats yet. That'll, we'll do that for episode twenty, I think. That'll give us a good sample size. It's that. Uh, it's that wacker tipu. That. Um, oh, sorry, wacker tip. That's really <laughs> wacker tip. Yeah, that's slowing me down. <laughs> that that was the one. Down. That was the one that really ruined it for you. Um, now, uh, Turanga Waiwai, uh, Just for uh, listeners at home, um, teacher Cam here is coming out just to give you a little lesson here. It's a concept with um, within Maori culture. Uh, which translate as uh, a place to stand. 
and uh, it represents a, a place that you have um, where that's where you feel a certain connection, where it has a lot of uh, mana for you, a lot of um, you know uh, pride, spiritual essence, that sort of thing. And so, uh, mm-hmm. for most Indigenous New Zealand uh, New Zealanders, Maori, it's their uh, their marae, their uh, meeting house on their on their traditional land. But it can also be mountains and rivers and cities and all that sort of thing. Uh, I've got mm. a friend who, uh, Littleton, uh, just outside of Christchurch, over the hill from Christchurch, he says that that's his Taranga Waiwai. So, yeah. Awesome. It's a cool awesome. thing. All right. Anyway, excellent. Well, let's uh, pretty much hear from us. Hang on. Hey. Whoa. We've got to well, talk about the, the other pronunciations. Oh, right, right, right. That's right. Sorry. Not paying attention. Got, got rambling is- there. Got rambling there. There you go. All right. So yeah, too involved in the the teaching part. And... There we go. So I do that. I do that in front of my students all the time as well. Anyway, uh, so Mark, give us please the um, the alternative. Let's call it the alternative New Zealand pronunciation. With no no sort of um, jest, or you know, we're not aiming insults at anyone here. Um, it is a difficult language and. What's awesome, we mentioned it on the last episode, is uh, my mother has just done a course, and on that course uh, was my cousin's girlfriend, small world, I know, um, and she's actually from England. And so it was really interesting to see someone from a completely different country coming in and just having the same issues, just with, you know, letters are said a different way. And of course, the, the Māori vowels are said a different way uh, to the English language vowels, which really does throw everything off. So um, if you say it wrong, just don't worry about it. Um, but probably should learn to say it right. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. So uh, your, your people out there saying, yeah, Turanga Wai Wai, um, Turanga Wai Wai, that, uh, that, uh, is that the place where you, you, you stand and do stuff? Your Turanga Wai Wai? <laughs> oh. This is a, yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's not bad, that's not bad. There's, there's, I think, you've I, done, you've done think, way more offensive versions of other words, so. Well, I think you're, um, like, I always think of my granddad, and uh, rest in peace, Old Fossil, Bill. great man, Love Bill. great man, um, but I think he would look at that and just be like, nah, too long, that's, too many letters. That's so funny, because, folks, I'd already decided for my confused North American was going to be Look, look, I don't want to offend anyone, so I, 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 I'm just going to show it to them, all right? Can you tell me, please? Please help me. That There you go. That's what you get. Because yeah. you, you feel like in the English language, any word like that means you're studying or you're... Like, it's just not used in... Like oh yeah, letter, it's you know, a very specific. Letters. It's a very specific thing. Like I said, I wanted to give you a much more challenging one. And considering yeah, you still cool. got a nine out of ten, it's poof, like carp eye. Oh, boy. Well done. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm leading towards a certificate, I guess. Am I? Is this, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you even did these courses. Like no, as far as I'm concerned, no certificate, no course. Like you know, like oh. you could just be fabricating these stories. Well, with with AI technology, <laughs> yeah. In fact, are any of us? Is this real? Why are we, are we even doing? recording this? Why aren't we just getting an AI to do this? We could, we could. Two, so two guys from New Zealand, but one's in Canada, 
and the others <laughs> oh, in New Zealand still talking about it. It'd oh be a God. challenge. Holy crap, Mark, we could actually do this. And just oh see God. what happens. Oh, my God. We'll oh get back God. to you, folks. Anyway. We'll to you. <laughs> oh, I'm scared. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. oh, God. You know what, Mark? Tell us all the things that you want us to do and all the places we should go. Right, so uh, folks, we're we're inching closer to when I get into a plane with my parents and I travel very far away from New Zealand to a country called Nepal. Um, now, of course, to get there, we're um, we're going to do some fundraising, and then once we're there, we're going to disperse um, the funds that we've raised and just items of clothing and stuff that we've picked up. Um, so, if you want to learn more about this. Definitely visit activeheartsfoundation.org. Uh, links to that on my website, which is nzhikes.co.nz. Um, and it's getting very real. For a long time there with the uh, abrupt ending to traveling anywhere, which is COVID, um, it just sort of took away the realness of what we were doing. Now, of course, there was still stuff going on with the charity, still, still big things happening. But that's all via the internet, so you're not there seeing these guys that we've formed such close friendships with who travel around with us dispersing these goods. You're just, you're just not there. So uh, very exciting. Uh, also a little bit scary because my fitness, it ain't what it used to be, mm. thanks to uh, you know what. So uh, me and my parents, we're doing a lot of training, getting ready for it, probably not doing enough. Uh, but one thing that I can definitely say is we're really excited about it. Now, the book, of course, which is still for sale, not that many copies of it left when it's all said and done. So if you are keen, it's only 30 bucks, and anything that's left after paying the publisher, it goes towards this trip. And one of the places we are working towards going to is described as a school for the poorest of the poor. Now, you may think that that's a line that's been uh, organized by a marketing team for me to say, but no, that's literally what the principal of the school uh, deep in remote Nepal has called it. So um, cool stuff. If you're interested, activeheartsfoundation.org, all about it on there. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's really me done for now. Um, I can't say much more, but thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah. We do appreciate having people that actually listen. It's very, very cool. Uh, and like I said, I learn stuff. I think Cam learns stuff. Everybody learns stuff. Yeah, and we love hearing from you as well. So uh, drop us a line at bushwhacknottheresses at gmail.com, uh, Facebook slash NZ Hikes, uh, as Mark said. Oh, and then uh, also your Instagram.com slash NZ Hikes MH Wilson which uh, yes. is, is a different handle. And, um, yeah, all the stuff. And, yeah, keep reviewing us, those five-star reviews. That's important. Yep. 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 We'll do yeah. the um, the book. We'll be given out for the North American people next episode. Bom, bom, bom. Fantastic. So if you know how um, astute Cam is with timing, the time is ticking. How long that time is, nobody oh, knows. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now that awesome. I'm not bound to no deadline of every Sunday, every second Sunday, mm, like, mm. you'll you'll get what you get and you'll like it. 
This we don't want stress thing. cam. Yeah. No one likes stress cam. No one cam. wants stress cam. Uh, tell your friends about our podcast too. Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, this uh, has been Bushwick, not the wrestlers. Uh, I'm Cam Clark, uh, Picky Diano, and uh, goodbye. Hello, folks. Namaste, namaste. Love you, Cam. Love you too, buddy. Take it easy. <laughs>